everyone. This is Jules, your host of the All Things Iceland podcast. Welcome to this week's episode. Before I jump into introducing the lovely person I interviewed for this podcast episode, I would like to point out that one of the goals of this podcast is to feature more perspectives of those that live in Iceland. That includes, of course, native Icelanders and expats living here. My momentum in that area has halted a little bit because of social distancing, but once I'm able to meet up with people again, I plan to include a lot more of those types of interviews. I'm quite excited about it because there are so many fascinating stories here. Also, I am super excited and overjoyed to announce that my new website, allthingsiceland.com, has launched. On the new site, you can find episodes by categories. So if you're looking for things related to travel, if you're specifically looking for interviews, history, culture, you'll be able to find that on the site. I know that for people who have been interested in those types of topics, it was hard to navigate that on the site that I had previously and also on some of the platforms such as Apple Podcast or Spotify, you only just get a long list of all of the podcast episodes and not by maybe category. I mean, granted, I think it's fine if you listen to all of them, but I at least want to simplify the process of finding specific episodes. And along with that, you'll also be able to see videos that I've embedded on the site from my YouTube channel, and I will soon be providing resources on the site for people who are planning to visit the country. So super happy about that to have finally launched and I would love any feedback that you have on it. So feel free to send me a message, uh, leave a comment on any of the posts and I will be sure to respond. If you'd like to keep up with more exciting announcements and fun content about Iceland, make sure to sign up to my newsletter. There's a link to it in the show notes of this episode. If you have saved any links from the old site from foreigntofamiliar.com, don't worry, you're not going to lose those. They will redirect to the appropriate page on allthingsiceland.com. Okay, so on to the introduction. After I posted in the Away From Home Living in Iceland group that I was looking to speak with expats in Iceland about a variety of topics, I received a decent amount of responses, which I am very grateful for. One of those people included Saithor Benjamin Randalson. Saithor responded writing the following comment, quote, I could talk about moving here as a gay man or living through the 2008 crash or the foster system or the startup culture or baking or real estate, end quote. I don't know about you, but all those topics intrigued me. <laughs> so I decided to reach out to him. Honestly, I didn't think we would actually talk about all of those things, but somehow everything just flowed so nicely that we did manage to talk about all of that and more. It didn't even feel like I was interviewing him because I was laughing, learning, and being entertained by his quick wit, welcoming energy, and his passion for helping people. We were having such a good time that we ended up talking for almost two hours. So I really hope that you enjoy listening to this interview just as much as I enjoyed conducting it. I originally thought about cutting this interview up into two parts, but I felt like it just flowed really well as one. 
And honestly, it just goes by quickly, at least when I was listening to it, it did. And depending on where you're from, you will probably be laughing a lot along with us the whole time. Of course, it would be great to, for you to share with me and Saithor what you found interesting in this interview. And to do that, you can just write a comment on this particular episode post on allthingsiceland.com. Saithor, thank you so much for sitting down with me to talk about your experience in Iceland. I'm excited. Me too. Great. I love talking. <laughs> That's perfect for this type of setting. And I'm just super curious though. Where are you from and why did you end up coming to Iceland? Uh, do you want the Reader's Digest version or? Just just whatever you want. feel okay. like saying today. Uh, so I was born and raised in Richmond, Virginia, which was the capital of the South during the Civil War. That is where the treasonous president is buried, Jefferson Davis, where we went on field trips to visit. Lovely. Um, <laughs> they have a Monument Avenue filled with uh, treasonous Southern generals who are 10 feet tall. Wow. And uh, it's, a, it's a pretty city. It's one of the only capitals in the U.S. that has Class 5 rapids going through the center. Mm. And uh, I also did my first year of university there. And then I've also lived in Savannah, Georgia, Austin and Dallas, Texas, um, one of the suburbs of Washington, D.C. in Northern Virginia, and also in Los Angeles in California. And uh, I worked in video games, which is why I moved around a lot. There's mm -hmm. not much job security, um, but it did have a good salary and good vacation days for an American job. <laughs> Still not even half what we get here. Yeah. But uh, And I used the opportunity to try and visit um, places uh, each year and uh, outside of the States. And mostly I was staying with uh, friends who were also video game professionals okay. and the game industry is separated really into kind of an east and a west and so the u.s and uh europe are yeah, okay. very connected so all of my friends i were staying with were in european countries okay. so i didn't choose there but that is only where i went um and now i've enjoyed going into other places but all my initial visits were to europe and each visit it just felt like i was going someplace more civilized with a more cohesive society with um uh it just always seemed nicer like i was traveling through time to the future and i just i felt somehow more where i wanted to live but also i i was kind of raised in a religious cult mm. um and so i was not taught an act and i also went to a private religious school yeah. so i was not given an accurate education of u.s history right. And as I learned how the United States really was, I thought the problems weren't being fixed because everyone else didn't know, like me. You know, they were, it was hidden from them. And all we needed to do was talk about them and we could start working on police violence and racism and student debt and universal health care and all these things. And I was just a sweet, naive summer child. No one cared. And um, the ignorance is bliss for many people. Oh yes, especially if you're the privileged. Person. Especially because I was working in, you know, I was uh, 25, 26 when I left the U.S. and I was making seventy five thousand dollars a year, mm. full benefits, four hundred one k, healthcare, no debt, no. Wow. I mean, I had student loans, but you know, low payment, okay. cheap apartment, 
because uh, I lived by myself and I didn't didn't care. Um, had a brand new sports motorcycle I paid in cash. Nice. And it was just, you know, kind living of... Living the dream, basically. Yeah, living the dream. And the people I was living with were very privileged, or working with were very privileged. Yeah. So America was working quite well for me and for them. And they were not seemingly as bothered as I was by the mm. fact that this wasn't a shared experience yeah. and that we were all white people yeah. <laughs> in these jobs. Yeah. So you um, had an awakening of such. Yes. Yeah. And so it was from like... 20 is when I left, or sorry, 23 was my first job, 22, 23. Mm -hmm. 23 was when I kind of left home and was no longer focused on my education for for art and to get a career started. So kind of from 23 to 26 was really my like learning how Mm -hmm. reality really was, how society really works. First time as a grown up with job and my own place. Um, And I, I felt like it was not a functional society and it was too frustrating how when I wanted to talk about that or ways we might be able to fix it that all I got was kind of gaslighting and and pushback and I became the boat rocking that guy that you know no one wanted to talk about things with and um and so I realized my options were kind of deal with it and not talk about it so much and learn how to get along or to potentially go somewhere else and um, I had uh, I'd moved to LA for a kind of dream project. I was working on uh, Gun, which was a Wild West game that came out before Red Dead Redemption. Okay. And was same idea, open world, and it was from the creators of Tony Hawk. So we had mm, infinite I money. I played a lot as a kid. Okay, which number? <laughs> uh, two, I want to say. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That was the one that put them on the map. Yeah. And so I was working when uh, eight and nine Tony oh, okay. Hawk were being yeah. made. I just and, love the music. I mean, I was not like really into punk rock, but it like, introduced me to music that I would never normally hear. Yeah, which so was really... skate culture. Yeah, yeah, I was like, what is this? Anyway, sorry, that's totally okay. on topic. <laughs> we, had, we had a skate park in the cafeteria because mm-hmm. we also had, did the motion capture. So Rodney Mullins and uh, um, Tony Hawk and, you know, different professional skateboards would come and put on the motion capture wow. suit and do the tricks nice. in the skate park. But there were also a lot of skaters who wanted to work at this company mm-hmm. and and they could use it at lunchtime also and just skate whenever they want. That's awesome. Um, you know, we had catered lunch every day, Starbucks in all the kitchens. It was a very nice workplace. Open kegs on Fridays. Nice. <laughs> and at, from lunch on on Fridays, you could drink at your desk. Like, that was cool. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I went there for Gun and uh, I worked on the tail end of it. And then when Gun 2 was starting, this is when... Electronic Arts released the trailer for Skate, which mm-hmm. was their competing skateboarding product. Okay. And Activision was our publisher, and they got really nervous that Skate was going to eat their lunch. Mm. And so they canceled Gun 2 and put all of us onto Tony Hawk 8 to try and make it so good that people would forget about Skate, yeah. which didn't work. Skate is now the product that keeps having sequels and gets all the sales. Wow. Tony Hawk is done, Neversoft is closed. And Red Dead Redemption has sold 500 bajillion copies, mm-hmm. so it would have made far more sense, but that <laughs> decision was made way above my pay grade. Right. But when the project was canceled, I had the decision to stay and make skate clothes and shoes and products, or maybe use this as a sign yeah. to finally leave if that was what I was feeling. So I kind of um, went into my final job review with, like, if they offer me 
85 a year, yeah. then I'll stay. Right. And anything less without me having to ask, then I'm going to go. Okay. And I just let them kind of make the decision. And I told my boss later, he's like, if you had asked for 85, they would have said yes. And I said, yeah, but I wanted to go. <laughs> uh, so I actually, at that point, I made the decision anywhere but here. I didn't have a destination in mind. Okay. I didn't even know that there were like three-month visa limits. Yeah. I was, you know, very naive. Okay. I was just like, oh, I'm just going to leave and go somewhere else. And there's... America. Like everyone accepts the U.S., right? It's such a common belief that, like, America's the only place with immigration controls or visa requirements. <laughs> I'm just going to go to Canada. Like... <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's like you're gonna go home. For up actually. to three months. <laughs> yeah, exactly. and then you're gonna leave. Um, so I kind of made a shopping list, and I made plans to go to um, Switzerland to mm-hmm. and live there for a while. Also, um, Orléans in France, mm-hmm. and uh, then I also added Montreal in Canada. Okay. And at the last minute, after I was making these plans, I read an internet post about. Iceland. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, I haven't been there yet. That's right. There is a nation up there. <laughs> I, I, I've seen the word Iceland before. I know what this concept means, yeah. roughly. Um, I didn't even know Björk is there or okay. Greenland's the icy one. Iceland's the yeah. green one, which is not even a fact. It just makes me want to punch people. <laughs> I just knew vaguely it was a place. Right. And this post talking about the day-night cycle and uh, Secret Solstice, or there was a music festival they were talking about the time that Sigurós had just performed at. This was in 2005. Okay, I don't know. I'm not sure. And it just sounded really exciting, and I thought, hey, if I'm country shopping, this sounds fun. Why not go there? Yeah. And in all my trips previously, I was mostly staying with heterosexual friends. Okay. But I wanted to see what the gay scene was like in these cities. So I would use the... Um, Pro, uh, personals website at the time okay. to try and meet someone in each city who I could go to bars with or ask where the where to go dancing or you know maybe go on a date with. So I did the same thing with Iceland before buying my ticket. Okay, who's here? Who might I talk to? And my now husband, I had already seen his profile one time before when I just said, "Show me all of the redhead." Man, yeah, live in Europe. <laughs> live in Europe, and I'd just done country shopping, or you know, window shopping of all the handsome red-haired people who live in uh, Europe. And but it was just a fun day, so I didn't message any of them. Mm-hmm. And now this was a few months later, and I thought of Iceland, and I saw his profile again, mm-hmm. and I thought, oh, I should write to him now since. And he, out of the four or five people I wrote before making this trip, he was the only one who wrote back. Okay. Um, and we started writing every day. Uh, we started talking on Skype, and I racked up a giant phone bill calling international. Um, and so I decided to come and visit. And at first, I wasn't sure, are we going to meet once or twice, but I'm staying in a hotel. Yeah. How much are we going to hang out? Are we even going to really like each other? Because so far, we haven't met in person. Right. And but there I, was good energy, obviously. Yes. Right? Yeah. I was optimistic, but at the same time, I had not yet had a serious relationship. Okay, wow. So yeah. this was still kind of like, don't put all your eggs in yeah. one basket. Don't, <laughs> don't imagine marriage and babies and all this yet. Um, <laughs> so I had planned to come here for 10 days 
and then do the Switzerland and the France visit. Yeah. And uh, while planning, he said, you know, I asked my parents, you can just stay with us the whole time. Oh, That'll nice. make it easier to go out and do stuff. And so I thought, okay, he really wants to spend a lot of time. This is, you know, a good good sign. Yeah. And uh, when I came, it just really kind of, you know, worked right away. We had really good energy, really liked each other. Um, I went to Switzerland for two or three months. And while I was there, he came and visited and we drove from Switzerland to Germany for nice. Carnival okay. and got to like do Carnival there, which was a lot of fun. And he speaks German and used to live in Vienna. So it was nice to have, a, you know, a someone who could translator. speak. Translator. Yeah. <laughs> and then when my kind of pre-planned time in mainland Europe was over, I was like, what do I really want to do? Yeah. And he said, come to Iceland so we can, you know, really date and have a relationship. I was like, oh, I just made my plans to leave. I was only in Iceland for 10 days. Do I want to settle down again? And my German friend was like, you don't have a lease. You don't have a job. You have no commitments. Even if you go and it lasts for a short time, you've lived in Iceland for a while. True. And, you know, then you can try somewhere else. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's a good point. Low risk, yeah. low risk. <laughs> so that made up my mind. And I, uh, I, I moved here then in like March of 2007. Okay. So my 10 days were at the end of 2006 for New Year's. And uh, yeah, then moved in March. And I've lived here continuously with the exception of 2010. We moved to Germany and lived in Köln for okay. one year. Mm-hmm. And um, he was working at a TV station. I worked at a video game company in Dusseldorf. and would bicycle the 50 kilometers each what? way. What? Every day. Oh, two two hours That's each way. That's intense. Okay. Uh, in the winter, I took the train. But in the summer, <laughs> I um, And I really like that. That's for sure. <laughs> Germany is a beautiful nation. I did like it more than the U.S., but it's, um, with no offense to German people, I found it a little bit sleepy or boring mm, okay, yeah um well, Colin, it, i've been there as well i mean it is kind of one of those like people just kind of go about their work and go home it doesn't feel like they're supposed to be the crazy germans oh if you talk to like people who live in berlin or not berlin okay and you talk about colonians they're like oh the crazy germans really? and i'm like that's german crazy interesting <laughs> don't go to brazil <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Fascinating. Okay. Okay. Well, I so didn't know that. whether it's the influence of Americans living in Iceland for so long, or of Icelandic culture itself, I find Icelandic people yeah. more easy to relate to yeah. than I did Germans. And now I have fully like half of my family, all my in-laws live here. Yeah. And when we were in Germany, we had no one. Um, so and they do sometimes call, I've heard people say this, calling Iceland Little America. Yeah. You know. So maybe there's mm-hmm. this like because of digestion of u.s media and all this other stuff that i think it's some of that yeah you know and plenty of americans have come here mm-hmm. and then stay like i love seeing the the feeble old men at the grocery store that have a marine tattoo on their oh, arm and i'm like we gotcha <laughs> some Icelander caught ya <laughs> and you've been here since yes World War Two. Wow. <laughs> yeah. How was it moving though? Meaning, like the process of staying here, and you know, was that like a, a difficult process back then, or was it? Really Not easy? really. And I was very lucky because one, I was here for a while illegally, which I found very <laughs> ironic. Like Americans are the ones always talking about immigrants, mm-hmm. and then I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I initially had a high-tech visa from working for CCP. Okay. And at the time, they had seemingly 
a very easy route to just go to UTL and say, we've got a new employee, and nice. then they would walk back with a visa. That's, That's what it seemed like. Okay. So I did have to get my criminal background check, but other than that, it was easy breezy yeah. cover girl. Uh, just didn't. Easy breezy yeah. cover girl. <laughs> so I had two renewals of that, I think, okay. or one or two. And then uh, that is when we decided to move to Germany and okay. we got married beforehand. I mean, we were w wanting to get married and thinking about it, but the move to Germany made it make a lot of sense yeah. because that is how I had my visa in Germany as a spouse of an EEA resident. Right. And then uh, after I came back, I just had a spouse visa. Right. Um, and then that turned into a five-year one, my last renewal. Okay. And then after that, I was able to get my citizenship by passing the language test right. and getting all the paperwork. And at the time, I only had to wait eight months okay. for citizenship to be processed. Wow. After getting married eight months? No. Or? So after submitting all the paperwork, yeah, okay. it took them eight months to process. And now I know people who've waited 13, 15, <sighs> 16. And yeah. There's like very few people processing yeah. things in the first place. They're too busy evicting uh, sweet refugees, refugees yeah. in the middle of the night who have sick children. Right. You know, they don't have time to do their job. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Okay. Well, when you moved, though, mm -hmm. permanently and kind of settling in, did you notice anything strange or kind of shocking about Icelandic culture? Was there anything that you were like, what? Why do they do that? Or what's up with that? Um, the, the, there seemed to be way less focus on manners. Mm -hmm. Like, my mother was an Emily Post trained. Okay. Like, you know, you put your fork down between bites. You don't rotate your plate. Mm -hmm. um, you don't gesture with your fork while talking. Right. Elbows never go on the table. Back straight. Yeah, probably and elbows in as well, yeah. right? Oh, no, not that far. No? Okay, yeah. wow. My mom was really into elbows in. Like, <laughs> most Icelandic people, I'm like, they eat like this. Not everybody, but like my husband, for instance. Yeah. We have to sit a certain way he's left-handed so okay. that he has space for his left arm. And I was like, why don't you just tuck in your wing? Like my mom, he's, yeah. he's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I can put a belt around it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But anyways, <laughs> it's like little things like that, right? You just yeah. like pick up on. So okay. Cur courtesy. And like my sister once noticed, she w came back from the grocery store from a visit and was like, oh. Icelanders are so rude. <laughs> I said, what happened? And she said, I was standing there and someone just kind of moved me out of the way. And I was like, well, that's rude for America. But if you haven't noticed, that's not where we are. Right. And Icelanders don't think you need to say, excuse me, and wait for 10 minutes without making eye contact, hoping the person will move so that you can then go get your pocket. <laughs> They're just helping you not be in the way. That's, that's, that's how it works here. It's so funny because there's a lot of space here, right? Yeah. For, for each person. At the same time, there isn't a lot of respect of that personal, personal space. space. Yeah. None. And I remember walking down the street in Reykjavik when I was uh, just visiting and some guy like hit me and I was like, seriously? Right? And I'm from New York, right? So it's like you always say something because you're like, mm. why are you being so rude? Like, it's almost like you went out of your way to like get yep. in my way and mm -hmm. it just... He didn't even think Realize about it. Realize it, yeah. Yeah, he was just like, what? Like, you don't get those tons of little reminders growing up. Yeah. And uh, one, I'll tell Americans, or as a cultural difference, when you're in like a loud bar in the States, when you put your mouth up to someone's ear, unless they're your partner, yeah. you your, your faces are in opposite directions. Right. 
because you have to come close to make it work so they can hear you, but you have to pretend you're not up all, all up in their face. Right. And here you can just be yes. right in it their ear. It looks like you're about to make out with each other. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, it's, and even now, if it's someone I know and I'm friends with and I'm not weirded out or whatever, I'm yeah. still just like, whoa, oh, yeah. you, okay. Yeah. Oh, what, what, what? It's true. I definitely had come to, even when it wasn't that loud, it was like we're just inches away from each other. And I'm like, and I'm backing up mm-hmm. and the person's coming closer. And I'm just like, okay, I guess mm-hmm. we're talking more intimately. Yes. Now. First time someone went in for the kiss in Switzerland, mm-hmm. I was like, whoop! And they were like, oh, that's right. That's, oh yeah, you, you Americans are skittish with personal space. Like, oh, it's true. I don't want to be this way. I can't help it. Um, yeah, so the manners and then um, the kind of, the good part is just that this, both as an American, but also as a gay man, I had to develop a real sense of like, situational awareness like who is around you know if I'm getting out of my car or I'm going somewhere obviously not as much as women have to do right. but there's crime in the US right. far more than here and, that, and hate crime specifically yeah and yeah. that just teaches you to be aware and here it's all just like fallen away yeah. and just oblivious and I love it because I don't want to have to always be shoulders up looking around it's yeah. nice to just do my thing and other people are doing their thing I'm not going to take their stuff they're not going to take right. my stuff because we've hopefully for the most part built a functional society that we don't need to be right. going and breaking the social contract all the time um, agreed so I really like that part also the windows like because in the states everything they're all those same double hung yeah. small covered in curtains at all times my mom comes and stays every night she goes around and draws every single <laughs> I'm like who is going to see, even if someone sees you totally naked, you're never going to meet them ever again because you live in Virginia <laughs> right. and you're only here for a week. <laughs> and here it's just giant windows. No one covers them. Walk around in your underwear, yeah. you know. And also you need to get as much light in as you can, right? That is very important, especially in the wintertime. And when people think of the dark uh, period of the year, I think they're often imagining what their city would be like mm-hmm. were it dark all the time. I'm like, well, we've had to be experiencing this at all points in time so most architecture and most buildings are designed with that in mind and often have bigger windows lights on all the time plus cheaper energy so there's it's much less depressing than say seattle or richmond or even new york would be if it were dark all the time yeah because it's this amount of darkness in new york i don't think anyone would get anything done they would be so depressed (laughs) yeah and people already i mean they have um seasonal depression depression in new york but i think it's really yeah yeah but i think it has more to do with the fact that Yes, the days are shorter, but they don't have anything to really compare it to, uh, right? Okay. So if you if you're coming to a place like Iceland, it's yeah. like, yeah, we're really lucky. Because yeah. when I go to visit there, I'm like, the sun is up at 7 o'clock in the morning. This is amazing. Coming to Iceland, I'm going to work, and the sun might not be up until 11, yeah. right? So I will, <laughs> I thank my lucky stars that I get the opportunity to kind of know both. But New York also has different pressure, too. So that's that's why I think, you know, in some places people... Just oh, like lose. the air pressure? I mean, like the pressure to succeed yeah, in a yeah, different yeah, way. Yeah. It's just like... Because they will let you die in a gutter. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Like that is on offer. In fact, that's most likely. <laughs> it's, it's a totally different experience. But, um, yeah, I think that's really fascinating because there's so many different things that people notice, you know, about Iceland. And the manners thing, I'm glad that you said that because Icelanders are 
somewhat aware of it now because mm. they're hearing it a little bit more but it's so funny the things that slip through they're just like what what's wrong with that and it's like, like reaching across to get something on the table even mm. now i'm like i know it's all right i know i can do it I'm still looking to make sure my mom's not in the corner yeah. with her arms crossed don't do it <laughs> exactly. like, really quick <laughs> or you've been announcing that like i need to pee yeah right? yeah, like, yeah. It's like, yeah it's yeah, that's still... I'm like, oh, thanks for the right, information. Yeah, like, you could just go. You, you don't need to tell me. Like, uh, I need to take a minute. Right, yeah. no. It's specifically what I'm going to do in the bathroom. So, and you mentioned living here as a gay man. The whole time that you've been here, it's always been a very accepting experience. For oh, you. Yeah, yeah, because in, in 2007, we didn't have civil marriages yet. That came mm. in 2009. Okay. And then the... Or wait, sorry. It was full marriage equality was 2000. Nine, okay. and then civil unions, I believe, were 2007. So okay. really shortly after I had made it. And then, of course, Johanna was yes. our lesbian prime minister mm-hmm. for a while, which helped a lot. But um, it was so far ahead, even when it was not as advanced as it is now right. in 2007, it still felt like, even moving from Los Angeles, like I felt the need to uh, decide who at my work I would tell. Right. And, and even the people who I did tell at the time in a 175 person video game studio in Los Angeles, there were no openly gay men. Wow. Yeah. And there weren't enough women to have an open lesbian. There was like the, the office was female and a couple testers and that's it. It was very male. And, uh, so the, I remember it was Cafe Cozy, which is where, let's see, now it is, a pizza place, I think, on the end of Bankastreiti. There's like mm-hmm. Graui Kotterin mm-hmm. micro bar, and directly across, it's like a generic falafel or pizza or something like that. Okay. But when I moved, it was a gay coffee shop and bar. No dancing, but like come and hang out. And yeah, kind of like Curious. Is yes. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and behind where Curious is now. Ah, so like, okay, got yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, and I remember going out with, uh, with August, my husband, and we were just, you know, like month, no, it might have been the first 10 day visit or soon after I moved here, but yeah. very early on. And a very friendly, very attractive, blonde Icelandic woman, when I was getting my beer, was definitely trying to flirt with me. <laughs> and she was like, are you here with someone? And I was like, am I going to go for it? And that was the first time I told a stranger came out to a stranger and I said, oh no, I'm here with my boyfriend. And I was so nervous. Mm -hmm. And if she had been prejudiced or with rejection, I probably would have been like, oh, never moving to Iceland. (laughs) But it was, you know, it was really affirming because she was just right away like, oh, which one is he? And wanted to know. And I was like, okay, well, I might not be able to go home with you, but we could still be friends. Yeah. Um, And that just, I didn't feel like that was an experience I would have been likely to have had in the U.S. I wasn't willing to out myself to strangers at that point in my life and in 2006 and seven yeah. with the state of, of things. Um, so right away from there. And then uh, I lived here for two years and really at CCP at the time we had six or seven uh, gay employees, one or two lesbians, okay. a trans woman or two. Okay. And at least one of them transitioned on the job. Wow. And so we had like a lot of queer employees, yeah. which helped. Amazing. Cause when you're the only one it changes. When there's two, it's a little bit better. Yeah. And then when there's three plus, it's like, okay, okay, I'm not like the ambassador anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't speak for all of the gay men on earth, but. <laughs> and speaking of this time period when you moved, I mean, yeah. 
ISA was riding high for a while until the economic crash. So can you talk a little bit about that kind of, you know, Icelanders, I've heard stories of going to like other countries and buying up like yeah. tons of, you know, just having a great time and being really reckless with money, yeah. obviously. It was, it, it didn't, I only got to really understand what it was like in hindsight. Okay. Because I, the, I actually got a little bit burnt. So I had been, um, I've been a saver my whole life, just from 14 or 15 when I first started mowing lawns for neighborhood, I was always like saving my money. Yeah. And so when I moved to Iceland, I had twenty five, twenty six $26,000 in savings. Yeah. And the interest rates here in Iceland were so much better. Yeah. I had like 0.25% at ING, I-N-G, you know. At the time, and that was yeah. the best <laughs> savings rate you could get in the U.S. And then here it was like 14%. What? I was like, what? What? You do what? That's insane. <laughs> and I wanted to transfer it to get that yeah. interest. But American banks are so far behind, and we're even more f- far behind in 2007. Yes. So I couldn't do an international transfer without being physically inside of a Bank of America branch. <laughs> oh so the God. next visit home, I did the transfer, and I only got... 58 kroner per dollar. That's what the exchange rate was at the time. Whoa, damn. I don't think it's been lower than that since I've been alive. That is amazing. It was literally the worst exchange rate ever. Oh and I, it was the largest exchange I've ever done, you know, between Whoa. currencies. And I just got, you know, my lunching. But, um, damn. Recovered since. Okay. But, um, so that was kind of a slight awakening to the idea of currency fluctuations and yeah. interest and, and not being on a world reserve currency. Because right. when you use dollars, like, I think I was 15 or 16 before I was aware there were other currencies. Okay. You know, like, a ruble? <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. So, and then in 2009... I was very dissatisfied with my job at CCP. Okay. And um, my husband, I can't, I think he was fine with his, because we were both working at CCP at the mm. same time. Me as an artist, him as a programmer. Okay. He liked it, um, but we were, he was getting sick of the Icelandic weather. Mm. He's a gardener. And so, which is why we've yeah, now got this. have lots of yeah. land to play with. So the move to Germany, we were like, where could we move? And we looked at a lot of places. And I had a really good friend who lived in Köln. Okay. And August can speak German. Right. So that seemed to make some sense. Mm-hmm. He got a job offer. And so we moved. And um, that was in from 2009 to 2010. So it was right. really kind of the worst part of the crash. Yeah. And right up until we moved, we were both working at CCP where the salary was fine. We didn't, Stable jobs. Yeah, we had, we had a you know decent apartment with, with low rent, so it really didn't affect us, right. luckily. Yeah. So we lived in Germany, and while we were there, we were also saving but in Euro. Mm, and Germany really nice. was not very uh, heavily affected in 2008. They did quite well. Yeah. Um, That's why they're... You know, in control. Yeah. <laughs> well, they, they, the European Union right. very specifically benefits German economy. Right. So they, you know, it was good. And then when we moved back, we were able to bring like, I think, 8,000 euro. And we got 260 kroner per euro, which Whoa. was a great, like one of the best. Exchange. We, we walked in. I was a little bit cheeky. I was like, do you exchange euros? And they're like, oh, right this way. Like, open the back office. Coffee, chocolate, blowing off the dust. You know, like, someone has money. Come quick. And uh, so we were able to exchange. And then that's when we 
decided that we wanted to to buy a house. Yeah. And so we were in a very unique position where we had savings and we had a down payment and everyone and their mother was trying to yes, sell. Yes, exactly. I mean, like, like the best possible time, basically. It was so much luck. That's like, amazing. So much luck. <laughs> and so we got our first house is um, on Hringbreit in 101. Yeah. So duplex with a garden and a driveway nice. and a guest house. It was a nice purchase. Yeah. And then uh, I spent um, the first period renovating the guest house from a home office to a studio apartment. Okay. And I spent um, 2016 to 18 building a 35 square meter sunroom on the back Ooh, that I designed. And nice. it's like uh, 58 panes of glass and Whoa. wooden floor and raised bed around the outside. I miss it a lot. Yeah. What did gonna... you learn to do all this? Carpentry. YouTube. What? Mm-hmm. Okay. And practice. <laughs> like I started with uh, simple projects around the house and okay. would just talk to my father-in-law, the people at Biko, Vatsvirkin, mm. uh, could, um, I've also been surprised. I can't tell if it's because now I'm older than I was in the States yeah. or if Icelandic professionals are more helpful. But when I go into plumbing places, window places, I can just kind of be, say, I almost know nothing, mm-hmm. but I want to do this project how would you do it? Or can you explain something to me? Mm. And they have never been dismissive or like, you can't do that. <laughs> Leave it to the pros. They're always yeah. like, oh, cool. Like, you know, yeah. excited and give me the information and nice. very helpful. And are you speaking in Icelandic as well? Now, yes. Okay. Yeah. So um, when I first started, I would often have to switch over, mm-hmm. especially with construction terms, but yeah. now all Icelandic. Okay. Um, and... Uh, so that then we used the equity on that house. We very quickly paid it down in five years mm-hmm. so that we could just not have a mortgage anymore. Nice. And then used the equity on that to buy this place. Okay, so you have that and this place. Yeah. Nice. And Great. some summer house land out next to Selivatle Lake, okay. but there's no house on it. And this was like okay. not an inheritance, but it was from family that we bought at a good family price. Right. So that's like in the future we awesome. might build that. Yeah. So you've um, basically gotten into the real estate business. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And then and we've tried to do some entrepreneurial. We were in Startup Reykjavik. Uh, I had my own bakery for a while. Okay. I worked as a pastry chef for Bordith, the uh, bakery that was on Ayasilu. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're closed now. It's okay. called Chido. It's a Mexican place. Yeah. Okay. I know yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. I've been there. Um, and, <laughs> I didn't uh, know what it was before. Yeah. So. It was a, a copy of, what is the, it's a British company in London. I forget, but you, it's like bakery, coffee house, import goods, Mm. but also good food that you take out. Okay. And that's what it was. Yeah. Um, So I was the pastry chef there. So I've not had any luck yet with like entrepreneurial pursuits and uh, not really wanted to stay in the game industry. And with real estate, it's worked a lot better. So that's how we've, and we, we have since bought an apartment that we've sold and while Mm. we had it it was a good you know we got nice rental income Mm -hmm. profit when we sold it you know we tried to be really fair with the renters we never raised rent we didn't set it the market rate we were like what do we need to maintain it make a little profit and not rent is really expensive downtown and and we've seen that by the way that the renters we've had have treated us and yeah. I'm just like this seems really normal this is why you're giving us money every month is this is now our obligation right, to keep yeah. it nice and fix things and all of that why are you treating us 
Like we're spe- oh, it's because all the other landlords yeah. you've worked with have been ghoulish slumlords. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I mean that's like a almost universal thing. That's the problem yeah. too. And right? it's really turning into that as the property, you know, has yeah the has gap. gone away. And yeah. you can see here the U.S., the U.K. If you look at what age group has the real estate equity, mm-hmm. it is the sixty-five or fifty-five yeah. plus crowd. So I feel extremely fortunate yeah. to be under 40 by a tiny bit uh, <laughs> an immigrant and yeah. to have housing security because mm-hmm. that is not a ubiquitous yeah. experience for true yeah. most people yeah. that move here yeah. that is very true and yeah. and for some icelanders though how it works is that their parents have saved up for them or something so there is like a system mm-hmm. yeah. it's like an unwritten you know rule that kind of goes along with being icelandic that foreigners don't yeah. know or people who and are they can lend and that's always and but even in the states whenever you see those stories how i paid off my college loans and bought a house in five years and in the tiny print there's always with a small loan from <laughs> mom's and daddy you have seven million dollars i'm yeah. like exactly. you, Shit. you did not that pull was... yourself up by the bootstraps yeah. someone yeah. gave you boots tied them for you and send you on your way. We, my in-laws could have done yeah. that for us, but because we largely were able to do ourselves, yeah. they were more which helping is, my husband's siblings. Which is great. Yeah, which is, I'm glad, you know, yeah. that's as much self-sufficiency as a person can exactly. manage, I think is, is yeah, our mm-hmm. responsibility. And learning Icelandic, what was that like, or has been like for you? I know it's a, uh, probably yeah. an evolving thing. Yes, right? definitely. come along. It has been difficult because I'm I'm very I don't like and don't do well in formal education. Okay. I've been only gone to Tin Can Factory, yeah, which I, I really do. love. Yeah. I like the immersive. Uh, um, what's it called? Um, just using it, you know, yeah. not all the rules and grammar. Because I just I don't do well with that. Yeah. And then it helped a lot. So we have um, been foster parents for now. We have our fifth child okay. that we fostered and the f- um, first two were five and seven year old brothers and they mm. only spoke Icelandic wow. so that was a good like just getting much more used to it because right. they just I couldn't they communicate can, yeah, yeah in English. <laughs> you have no other choice yeah. <laughs> and um, then when I got my citizenship I kind of used like you cannot introduce yourself as Scythor and then ask them mm. to switch to English after three sentences mm. so if you want to do that, you're going to have to make this decision that right. now you're sticking in Icelandic no matter how difficult. Um, and so I also at the time changed to a new job. Okay. And so I, I only spoke Icelandic at that job. Nice. And so they didn't have in their mind that I was an English speaker. Mm-hmm. So And they were good to stick with me in yeah. Icelandic. Nice. Um, and so then the just using it every day has been the most helpful. Okay. Because then I can just... I hear it, and I yeah. hear when I'm messing up, and lots mm-hmm. of helpful Icelanders correct me. And they're always like, oh, is this okay? And mm-hmm. I'm like, yes, please. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Don't be obnoxious, but mm-hmm. you're welcome to correct me when Do I'm wrong. Do you watch Icelandic television? Like, is that part of, like, the news, all the other jazz? Do you immerse yourself Not that way? very much. I, I do more newspaper and, okay. and website reading than I do watching the news, okay. but I am also have never been a TV watcher. Okay. Like, now Netflix, but... Yeah. And downloaded stuff mm-hmm. that, uh, yeah, downloaded stuff. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you, know, I don't, to, yeah. you don't have to elaborate yeah. on it, yeah. it's fine. And, uh, <laughs> so I don't have too much chance, but I do like um, some Icelandic comedies that mm-hmm. now I want to rewatch okay. in Icelandic instead of reading like 
Night of Octon. Yeah, Octon yeah, thing. okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to watch Astropia again, <laughs> okay. but in Icelandic. No. Very funny. Okay. I've yeah. seen my, uh, my tutor introduced me to Fostbreider. Okay. And I was watching that on YouTube, which is really interesting too from like back in the day comedy that's sometimes really obnoxious and, and sometimes funny sometimes like i don't know what the hell is going on because i'm not a part of this society yeah, that, that same way yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's really i remember i always dreamed of being bilingual mm-hmm. and i always felt very ashamed being monolingual i thought this was like irresponsible and i i think it's an indictment of the mostly white former colonies of England plus England that are the groups that are the most often monolingual. Yeah, it's true. There's a funny YouTube video of like uh, in Spain where they specifically target British citizens who are in Spain and they're asking them questions in Spanish just to see if they have any idea of what they're talking about. They're trying to like give them a yacht for free. That's what it was. (laughs) And they're like, no, 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 no. And they're like running away because they think they're being like, you know, asked for money or something when in reality they're being like, yeah, would you like a super yacht and millions of dollars? No. No. (laughs) And it was just like hilarious because they're like, yes, this is a problem. Don't want to buy your tacos. Yeah, Yeah. And the amount of them that go there there, right? Yeah. And same thing with the U.S. It's like the there's a, that goes to Mexico, for instance, for vacation. There's a or chapter of Brexiteers in Spain. Oh and I'm God. like, do you not understand that doesn't work like that? Like, as soon as Brexit <laughs> passes, you've got to go home. Yeah, it's... <laughs> yeah. So I, when I, I always wondered and, and imagined what it would be like to be able to converse fluently in another language. Yeah. And, and I really Likewise. like it. I still get a lot of enjoyment out of realizing that this is a skill that I had to pursue as an adult yeah. you know like I was 25 before I ever heard a word of Icelandic yeah you know and it's very helpful when going abroad I love having a yeah. secret language likewise yeah I mean I'm not I'm definitely not in the place where I can speak it continuously all the time but I think that also has to do with just my own like I get in my head about speaking mm. But yeah, when we go on vacation, it is really nice to switch so, over. <laughs> nobody knows. No one. And everyone's looking at you like, what the hell are you even saying? Right? Like, it's so... Yeah. I love when, when a plane of Icelanders and Americans goes from Iceland back to the States. Or, or no, a tr- inner transfer. So we haven't come from Iceland. We maybe transferred from, say, New York over to California or yeah. something for a conference. And then the Icelanders stand up and start talking in Icelandic, and you watch all the Americans go, oh, it's another language, we're afraid, but they're white. What, how should we feel? How should we feel? I don't know. <laughs> it is, yeah, it's fascinating. And I think it's so funny because in the U.S. it's changing. The demographic is changing, obviously, like with more people who speak Spanish or speak, you know, whatever yeah, but language. But they segregate themselves That's, so much you yes. don't really get, I mean, I haven't, I haven't lived there now yeah. for 13 years, so I can't, I know sometimes I need to acknowledge that I might have an outdated idea of what it was like, but I've seen aerial maps of my hometown of Richmond mm. where they color code the neighborhoods based on a racial majority wow. to show where do people live. And they don't live together. Right. You know, you can see this is the Asian neighborhood. This is the African-American neighborhood. This is the white neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And they come in like a pizza slice to yep. the central business district. Yep. There's a little bit of mixing there. And I was like, maybe it's just Richmond because it's got a super yeah. racist past. Let's look at Atlanta. Let's look at New York. Yeah. Let's look at they San Francisco. Consume. And they're all like that. So yeah. it is getting more diverse without a, a like lot of the benefits. Yeah, yeah. The, the mixing. Um, and, I mean, you, know, and you do have crossover, of course, but it, it is really funny. Like in New York, 
a friend of mine, he calls it, it's like, it's not a melting pot. It's mm. a spice rack, right? If you oh, want something. That is yeah, good. Right? It's, so it's, like, it's a spice rack. You can rack. go yeah. to this neighborhood and get Italian. You can go over here yeah. and get fresh. But you, you can, can ignore here. the turmeric uh, <laughs> thing until it collects dust. On right, the exactly. It's just like, it's amazing. And I was like, that is the best yeah, way of explaining it because spice it's rack. so true. Like we, we do interact, but there isn't usually like, you know, and people will say in New York, don't speak English. You'll find that in New York just as much as you might find. No, guys, not just as much. That's not true. You will find it in New York because yeah. there are people like this yeah. everywhere. The worst is when someone's like, we're in America, speak English. And right. the person's like, I'm speaking Navajo. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you get on it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> not the person that needs to learn. But that's the, the kind of issue, right? Is yeah. that there is this idea of like, you're there and your culture's there. And it's yeah. nice for me to come and like have a taste of it. But uh, like my neighbor, for instance, I don't speak Spanish to him. Even I was learning Spanish in high school. And he doesn't speak any English besides hello. That's okay. what he knows. And we've, we've known each other for all, the whole time I've been alive. I'm 30, almost 34, right? So yeah. it's just like, I know how to say hello. And sometimes I'll say buenos dias to him or something. But it's like, our conversations never go past that. And he's probably yeah. a really fascinating individual. But yeah. I would never know because we can't communicate, yeah. right? And like, he could survive in our neighborhood, you know, back in Brooklyn. And I can go outside of our neighborhood because of this. Yeah, so. I see. It's been interesting seeing the, it's like, in the States, the idea of, you need to integrate. It's on you. Right. It's taken to like pathological levels. Yeah. And and then added into the mix is English is not the official language of America. Right. There aren't, I, as far as I'm aware, there's not a language test to get citizenship there. Like no, there it's is just here. a history. Well, you it's, have to do it in English though. That's the thing. It's like, yeah, you have that's to, true. Yeah. So that is... Yes, I mean, it, you could just it basically it. is, right? Yeah, you didn't remember and, Well, then you're learning English, because yeah. that test is hard. I couldn't pass. I was like, I was like, oh, crap, I don't remember. Something like 80% of American high school graduates can't mm -hmm. pass it, because it's, you know, really it's obtuse. It's tough, yeah. But the, you know, to then move here, there's also a quite a bit of, you know, kind of insistence that if you move here, you need to learn the language, you need to integrate. And so kind of figuring out how I feel, like what aspect of that idea is legitimate yeah, and which parts are, are used as kind of a shield for actual prejudice. Like yeah. you don't actually care that this person doesn't speak Icelandic. You're mad that they don't look like you or don't want to act exactly like you. And this is your excuse for not yeah. saying it that way. Like, yeah. But some of it is legitimate. Like this yeah. is a very tiny nation with its own culture with a language that has been unchanged and i have felt an easier route to integrating being able to speak yeah. it so it's not bullshit but it's also you know not 100 legitimate yeah so figuring out like where that line is has <laughs> and been... there's some, a lot of fear here too around like their language disappearing yes which is so integrated in the culture yeah. right so i can understand that and like but it doesn't seem to manifest in like, the only political parties that ever seem to pick up on that are the outrageously xenophobic and racist ones. Because yeah. there are so many ways that if your goal is to treasure and hold on to the Icelandic language, fund the arts. Exactly. Fund the theater, yeah. you know? Like, make it so that it is a right for immigrants to go and learn Icelandic mm -hmm. on the job while being paid exactly. at any time of the day mm -hmm. and you know like that there are ways that you can put your money where your mouth is the basically. amount yeah, yeah yeah so it's like if that was happening and people are going no don't want to bother then uh, there'd be more meat to the right. argument but it exactly. is you really have to both make it a priority as well as have the privilege of the time and the resources yeah. to do it. Exactly. Um, and then you can also often get locked into an existence that doesn't have 
the time. Yep. You know, like when I go went to the Epling strike, mm-hmm. um, I volunteer. You know, I wanted to change my job over and be a cook at the foster home, and yeah. this was like a specific goal. Nice. But most of the people in Epling are, you know, immigrant women. Right. I was one of the only men there who wasn't a partner in tow. Yeah. And and the, you know, it's it's very much like let's just shove. The, you know the job that we don't want to pay for we we need it done but we don't want to prioritize it let's just shove the immigrant women into it yeah. and they work all the time and don't have any spare money yeah. and good luck learning icelandic yeah exactly it's it's actually it's really heartbreaking because i i haven't been to the strike um like that's been going on recently in terms of people protesting but i remember that was that one maybe it was last year and they were showing like the monthly wage or something. And it was like, how the hell is anyone living off of that? This is so unfair. Yeah, yeah. And I was talking to this about a, a, with a coworker of mine. And he was like, yeah. And he almost said like, but. And I was like, there's no but, right? There should be a livable wage period, no matter what you're doing in Iceland. And like yeah. the idea that, of course, it's a classism issue, yeah. right? Is so disgusting because we all are aware that, you know, Iceland, or at least we're, we're, it's projected that Iceland is this very fair place and whatever else, yeah. but you don't think of anyone being a working poor person. Yeah. And well, there's a reality this, here that is being brought to light that's yeah. really intense. It's the same script that, that was run through in the United States to destroy labor and to uh, really create an unequal society, yeah. and we're just earlier in the script. Mm. And that makes it really frustrating when I can ta- I can tell people very clearly Here's the end yeah. destination of going down this route. And the only way to stop it is to show up with much more force than we've been generating so far right. to wrest control from essentially the capital class yeah. and their sycophants they put into yeah. work. <coughs> and, <laughs> and to, you know, like, you know, he's just a human Pez dispenser for luxury apartment blocks and hotel right. permits. And then the people who actually make the city run are begging for a living wage, and he's going on TV lying about yeah. the offers that have been made. Right. And so for me, I I realize, you know, I, I can take this job because I've already sorted out my financial security, and now I want to do it. But think of all the people who would like to do these very useful jobs that cannot because they need to stick with the more lucrative career. Right. I mean, because everywhere, or while I'm at my job, they really want more men to work there. Mm. When I started, there were four of us, and now I'm the only one, and, you know, me and 19 women. And I don't mind. I prefer more male working environments, but, you know, I also, part of my goal was to show the kids and the parents who stay there that men can do cooking and Mm -hmm. child rearing and be, this is not a women's work job because I don't have to use my genitals to do it. And, and uh, oftentimes I see that the male children that stay are much more uh, starved for male attention. Yeah. They really gravitate towards the men that work there. And so I'm like, you know, we could have a lot more men if the job didn't pay like shit. Right. Just yeah. saying it. Just laying really it out sad, there. It's a, a sexist issue too. Yeah, you know, right? it is. So it's just like classism, sexism. And obviously, Eisen has a lot of great things about it, but this is coming to the surface, and it's necessary in order for that to yeah. happen. So. And it's, 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 I don't know, it feels weird, because, you know, in the States, we had the McCarthyism and the Red Scare, and that is what just sucked out all of the left voices in the room for decades, and is now just finally regrouping and rebuilding. And Iceland did not have that. You know, there wasn't a, a cleaning of house. You know, there have been 
you know, a socialist party, a communist party, professors, radio hosts, yeah. you know, people who have been talking about these ideas. But for whatever reason, the allure and the propaganda of capitalism has been more, you know, gone into people's heads. So yeah. when you talk about ideas of how the system isn't fair, they'll regurgitate yeah. Republican talking points from the 90s. And I'm like, really? It's, We're going to have to work on unpacking all of <laughs> It's greed, oh, right? Yeah. But that's just the problem. It's greed. It's yeah. greed. And it's the promise of reward to people who are never going to see it, who, be mm. who believe it. You know these these temporarily embarrassed millionaires, or the the the, the you know this idea that I'm going to be in that seat, yeah. so I don't want to make that seat luxur less luxurious now, mm -hmm. even if it might benefit me right now, because Dang. I'm going to be there one day. Okay. Yeah, and that's what you know there, and they do the same thing. They've got the same propaganda on TV, Heimsolk, yeah. where they're like, look at all the expensive imported furniture that I've decorated my house with, <laughs> and everyone claps, and it's a whole. Thing. And, you know, there's there's five or six other versions of that that yeah. are basically like, look at all the money I've spent. Yeah. And that's Which the point of the show. I don't how that works in Iceland because, like, who's buying all this stuff? I didn't think that people had, like, because stuff is expensive here, meaning, yeah. like, the furniture and whatever else. I'm like, are they really buying all of these things? Well, it's, it's, it's three groups. It's the people who are up to their eyeballs in debt to yeah. social signal that they're socialites and climbing. And the moment a 2008 happens again, they lose everything, yeah. which is what happened to plenty of people. You have the the few actual capital class and their kids right. who can just buy it. And then you also have a people who are able to get it for these shows because the companies know it's part of the propaganda. Right, like, yeah. we need our stuff seen. So we might lend some of the pieces mm -hmm. and the show can put them around even though the person doesn't get to keep them after. Or maybe they do. But, you know, this was not paid for when you're seeing it on the TV right, because yeah. it's an investment for that company then to sell more later. Got it. Yeah. Um, to create desire, yeah. manufactured desire. I'm looking at these magazines and I'm like, there's no way. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, and I know several, several interior decorators in the States and they tell me when they do magazine shoots, yeah. they get to roll up to a house that's rented for just the weekend. Mm. They have a truck full of you know, $10,000 a yard wallpaper and all this stuff. They go in and make one corner look absolutely fabulous they photograph it and then they take it all back down put it in the truck it goes back into storage the person's house is very nice but yeah. it didn't have that nice of stuff right, in it yeah. it goes back to normal but now it's presented to people as martha stewart's yeah. kitchen nook or yeah whatever and so yeah. then the people who look at it think that this is a, a common or common enough that they should aspire to it when right. it was completely artificial created it doesn't exist anymore. It's in storage, you know. Yeah. Um, and I, there has to be some element of that here because they often are following the same yeah. formula that was established somewhere else. And yeah, it works. Yeah, it, it does. Works. It does. For now. Yeah. Hopefully for now. <laughs> I mean. In, in the future, we can defeat it. So speaking of the... So you're, you said you were a cook at the foster um, home, is it? Mm -hmm. Okay. So speaking of the foster care system in Iceland, can you shed a little light on that mm -hmm. and kind of that process? Yeah. So my, because, uh, so there, for a long time, there were very few resources for gay men who wanted to be parents because it wasn't possible. You know, society projected its homophobia in a way that said that gay men shouldn't be near kids, not wow. even teaching them. Um, and, and I often think whenever, because several gay couples have, have come to then foster children that were staying at the home where I've worked. And I just think 
this, this, so obvious to see that this couple is over the moon to have a child to take care of. The kid was here with no parents, so now they have them. I right. have to imagine that's going to work out better for them. Right. How many kids in the past have been robbed from this experience because society was going, mm-mm, you don't get to. Right. And, but, so there is a really good resource called Gays with Kids, okay. and it's a Facebook group, it's a website, it's a podcast, I think. And they try and it's run by a gay couple in New York, okay, uh, nice. who is now, they moved to Canada for a while when the laws were unequal and yeah. have now moved back. Okay. And it is just kind of all things resources for gay men. Awesome. There's a lot of classism in it because mm. surrogacy, ninety dollars to $120,000. Wow. Whereas fostering and adoption, you can sometimes be paid. So there's a huge difference between the socioeconomic background. So you have ultra wealthy right. gay men with multiple houses who have a surrogate child and people who are, you know, school librarians or right. janitors or lawn maintenance people who are fostering a kid who have to share the same space and resource because it's so small. Right. And But you get, uh, I've gotten a little bit of a peek behind what the foster system is like in not all the states, but in enough of them, that my impression is that here is so much better funded, mm. so many more staff and resources that in the U.S. they have to wait until it gets criminally negligent to interfere no. because they don't have the resources. They That's can't so take a, they cannot find a place right. for every child that they would want. Kids in the system. Yeah. And yeah. they're like, okay, so it's not great, but being in an orphanage with 50 other kids would be even worse. So we'll leave them this less than optimal Dang. house. Yeah. And here it seems like it's it's all the children that we have fostered. It seemed very necessary that the state get involved, right. but it was not, that far gone right you know okay. they very quickly you know seem to blossom from having a good good you know more yeah. you know more uh involved uh, parents in the in the house and um you know definitely not perfect there are a lot of things i would change but yeah. i'm also only looking at it from the foster side and even working at the home because i'm in the kitchen and i don't have any training in uh, foster care or child develop I don't sit in on the meetings, so okay. I don't know why the kids are there. Right. If there are parents there, I don't know what the background is around them. So I just treat everyone who comes to the door as like, you know, I, this is my service that I'm providing. This is a rough time, so I want to make the best food yeah. possible so nice. that we can have some food therapy. Yeah. If they're from another country, I try and make recipes from where they are. Awesome. Okay. And, um, you know, when the kids are leaving, they get to choose what they want for their their last meal before okay. going you know either back to their parents or into a foster family and so it's fun to make like one little boy eight years old he wanted sushi and a chocolate tower cake <laughs> like, okay you get to choose <laughs> that's so cute <laughs> it's, like, it's just so random it's yeah. like... and they said because i wasn't there when it was dinner time they put it out and his eyes were just like you mean uh... i asked for this and now it's here <laughs> So it's it's often though. I mean, there are times when I have to go and kind of hide and collect myself because there is yeah. a lot of sorrow and difficulty and and that kind of thing. But it feels very much like the the reason I left the U.S. is it did not feel like a society. Mm. And here in Iceland, it does feel more like a society. And that if there's an issue that doesn't necessarily touch you, you are concerned because you can understand the the, the tangential ways that it does. Yeah. And the foster system feels like, I also feel like I've incurred a debt coming mm. here because it is, 
I wasn't part and none of my relatives were part of making Iceland the way that it is. I just mm -hmm. got to show up and be like, nice society you got here. Can I stay? I can't. Okay, cool. Um, so like I want to not just take advantage of it, but also try and maintain and yeah, uphold like it in the future. something to the people who have Yeah, it. Okay, nice. exactly. So my skills are with building and cooking and I like kids much more than I like grown-ups <laughs> because I'm quite childish myself. <laughs> so it seems to work well. Um, I really like I really like the job and, awesome. and getting to interact, and especially when you know the our foster son. Now he was actually at the foster home before we were asked to uh, foster him. Okay. And so just kind of watching as you know him specifically, the thought maybe he was borderline autistic, mm. had very poor language skills uh, for his age group, yeah. and now like he's at uh, the correct level for nice. his age. And, um, you know, really a lot of the behavioral problems have just kind of fallen away. And, yeah, just... You just needed the Sometimes you feel really powerless when you see these huge systems, you know, that are working with... Even here with 320,000, this yeah. is mind-boggling to try and think of how you might interface and then 320 mil or 350 million yes. in the states it's like how do you even like you Same, know yeah. some people can rise to that occasion mlk Noam chomsky you know that kind of thing but i i don't think i've got those kind of chops to be like <laughs> influencing society at that level but you know we can also have small ways that we can interface and i think if everyone was trying to do small things we would actually be better than waiting yes. for the you know the ambassadors in the forest to come out and and tell us how how we're and fucking someone up. to save you basically right yeah so, yeah exactly okay and i'm just curious because you're quite well integrated into iceland how like what advice would you give to somebody if they wanted to move here? oh to move here mm. yeah let's see are we assuming this person has a legal way to yeah move here? yes okay, yes not just like yeah, yeah. showing up um, hoping for the best yeah but you know maybe they've gotten a job to um sponsor them they have a partner, whatever. Yeah. I think the biggest thing is to try and find some recurring community that you can go to. Mm -hmm. So like for me, it was at first the, all the other game developers. Mm -hmm. And um, there was one of the, the problems, if you're an immigrant and you only ever interact with other immigrants, it can be very isolating because not only does it keep you from integrating and learning the language, but very often the people who move here who are not Icelandic are often not long destined to stay here. Mm. You know, I've made multiple friends who have gotten to best friend status who have then moved away. Yeah, and yeah. now we don't... From frustration or... No, or like in one case they, they uh, met, uh, rekindled an old flame and moved uh, back to the States okay, to be I with see. them. In another, they couldn't get a long-term visa sorted after their student one was done. Mm -hmm. So they were um, maybe solo, and that's that's probably another issue too, right? If you're coming yeah. on your own, they so, Solo, or even like, it came with the partner, mm, okay. you know, who's not Icelandic or European okay, citizen. Okay, got it, yeah. And so that can then, you know, because it, it's so easy to get along with someone else who has so many shared, you know, like if there's a little bit of a language barrier for them too, or they're mm -hmm. from your same country, or you yeah. have a shared language or culture. Um, so definitely seek out Icelanders mm -hmm. to interact with. And I get a lot out of, um, for example, I go every month to the Hump Day Social, which is a mm -hmm. gay men's social where we pick a bar every month and okay. get a reserved table and potentially a cocktail special. And then we go early at 7 <laughs> instead of 1 a.m. And uh, it is more of a 
immigrant crowd, but there are Icelanders and, and nice. the, our partners who show up. And also the parents meeting that they have at the churches for the mm -hmm. stay-at-home parents to come. So you can actually, every day of the week, there's one at a different church. So mm -hmm. Wednesdays was at Halkramskirkja and Tuesdays was at Neskirkju. And so you could this. go and meet other people with kids the same yeah. age, okay. which nice. is good. Yeah, do the language classes. Mm -hmm. I think Tin Can Factory is excellent. Yes. Go like to the... Um, like the multicultural things, like I love the food days, mm -hmm. and and then also to volunteer if you have mm -hmm. a skill. So like tomorrow, I'm going to be photographing for the Voiceless, which is yeah, a I'm going to that tomorrow. Okay, yeah. So I'll probably take your photo. So I <laughs> well, went... it's on Sunday. Is it Sunday? Yeah, it's, it's not on tomorrow. It's okay. on Sunday. It's, right, well, it's March eighth for International yes, Women's okay. Day. Yeah. yeah. So Sunday. I was like, wait a minute, am I going yeah. to tomorrow? No. Yeah. yeah. Sunday. You're right. So I will right. see you there as yeah. well. So I did for the I did this once for the tech. Women in Tech Iceland. Nice, okay. And um, just set up a corner and did, I'm like, you know, I know how to photograph. Everyone's probably going to be dressed up. Mm -hmm. You know, perfect opportunity to get a new CV or Facebook yeah. or LinkedIn. Exactly. And yeah, like, why, why not? And then, you know, one or two of the people I already knew beforehand. Mm -hmm. And that helped cement, like, who am I? What, mm -hmm. what am I about? See you again kind of you know and yeah. and it because it takes a while to establish like especially if you want to be involved in yes. politics and stuff like you need to have some real connections yeah connections and and some kind of like you're not just talking all the time yeah. there's sometimes where you show up with your hands and yeah. do things initiative in service. To like actually yeah. Yeah. yeah makes sense okay that's a i think that's really good advice mm. for sure i think the language part like you said like that also just smooths the path a little bit yeah. you know like I, I know when I first got here and uh, my husband I would ask him to ask certain things because I, I noticed there's a difference and of course you know it could be the way he looked but even on the phone like if I start on the uh, phone call speaking Icelandic I have a very different experience than if I just start speaking English, English. Mm. right so I think that alone kind of sets the tone because mm. even if I say like is it okay if we speak in in English they're like yeah yeah, yeah no problem yeah. right but initially it's kind of yeah the best was when my accent on that phrase got mm -hmm. well enough mm. they'd be like yeah you practice it like because I'm intending to switch to English yeah. <laughs> it's I know how to say that sentence and this one explaining it. Yeah, it's hilarious how you like, there's a strategy in your mind. Even I've had certain conversations beforehand, like I know exactly what they're going to say in response to this, so yeah. I can get to the point where I ask like... Hold on, flow chart. Yeah, exactly. Uh, wait, I had one more. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, go to the old Minikasap, mm, the cultural museum, yeah. mm -hmm. and I really suggest going up to the top floor okay. and looking at the conveyor belt with the decades yeah. and watching the photography exhibit. Mm. Because I think a lot of people who come to Iceland and see what it is like now, they imagine that it had a similar route as like Paris, London, mm -hmm. Copenhagen. <laughs> I'm like, do you know how poor yes. Icelanders were? All recipes before 1950 had one egg maximum because they were expensive. <laughs> That's why they yeah. love meringue now. We use all egg and we throw away half of it because we don't have to save anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. I mean, this is not that long ago either. 1910, 1920, yeah. these are like, this looks like the 1800s Literally in America. Literally dirt poor. That's yeah. how it's like, like, oh, you had six buildings and yeah. they're in, the, the if, yeah. if something is indoors, it's in one of these six in yeah. the 1910s. Downtown Reykjavik, it was like... <laughs> 
yeah. so it was nothing. It was yeah. crazy. Yeah, that's a good good point. So it's a good because you really I I feel like a lot of the modern culture is a response to that, mm. and and I've also as I've gotten into architecture and figuring out what I want in my spaces. I've also thought a lot of how the American architecture has come. Mm. So like, why do Icelandic kitchens feel so different to mm. American kitchens? Mm. And then, you know, my theory is that originally the people that owned the house weren't doing the cooking. Yeah, okay. And so they weren't considering the niceties <laughs> of the people who were there in the kitchen. <laughs> And then uh, it was, of course, for the longest time, then the women who were mm-hmm. also not considered as much as they should have been. So right. these were very kind of utilitarian, dark, yeah. functional spaces. And it's only recently that you've people have had the ability to customize the space. And now no one has any money. So, you know, the, <laughs> so the kitchens are very not my jam. Yeah. Whereas here it's, you know, for so long... It was, you had a one-room house yeah. where you did everything in that one room, and it, the window was called opening the door. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so now everyone wants this bright, uncluttered, large space with lots of windows so that when the sun is out, you can have it. Yeah. And since modern architecture has been possible, it's been a very kind of egalitarian society, so you didn't make it like a dank right. cave. It, it, you wanted to, it to be pleasant for everyone who was in it. Um, I don't know how you feel about this one thing though. Um, the fact that you can have a house of like four, four or five bedrooms and one bathroom. How do you feel about this? It's weird. And actually (laughs) in our duplex, we were wanting, I wanted to, it was one and a half bath with one, two, three sleeping bedrooms, but a living room that could also be used to have four. It was like hundred square meters. Yeah. Okay. And it had a half, a one and a half bath. So I was like, we could... That's better, though. Still better. (laughs) We could knock out the walls making this half bath and make one of these, the smallest sleeping bedroom into a master bathroom with two bedrooms or two bathtubs and, you know, his and his sinks. And and August was like, that would destroy the resale value because no one... When I'm like, what about other... Yeah. People. People with money yeah. with not so many kids right. will be the only ones offering. And then yeah. it's like, mm, I don't know. Yeah. So now this is my, because um, we, we have split this house into, now this apartment is self-contained. There was okay. stairs going up. And we eventually want to either rent this out or my mother will live here. We're okay. not excited. Because um, <laughs> she's American and doesn't have retirement. Um, and the upstairs is still completely gutted. It has oh, had wow. no work done to it. Okay. There's no running water. There's no sewage. Uh, there is power, but only next to the fuse box. And there's no insulation and no heating. Okay. Well. Uh, and no flooring and no walls. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, I mean, there's walls. It's literally a shell. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it is. It is. And that was why, I mean, we got something like a... 25% discount doing uh, buying a house that needed all the work done. Okay. So wow. this would have probably been about 25 million more had it been done. Yeah. Um, and so the one of the goals is to make a true master bath that isn't this like, we need as many sleeping bedrooms as possible. Because yeah. I'm like, we don't. I, we were I, able to split this house into, right. <laughs> into two pieces. We can we can have a master my, bath. So my husband and I were recently looking, and it was just like, I'm so frustrated by this. Because my, my mom as well, when she comes to visit, she's like, I would like to have a bathroom that I can use. Yeah. 
that is not the bathroom that like, yeah. everyone could be possibly using just in case I have I to go. I think you know? about that more because I don't know what the reason is. It feels either. like maybe they don't feel like the bathroom is important enough to donate space. Yeah, I don't know. And also because the housing is so much more, more dense. Yeah. I mean, for someone from New York, maybe not. But for me from Virginia, yeah. every single building is either an ambulance house mm. or an apartment block. Yeah. None of these duplexes, triplexes, no. fourplexes, mid-rise, yeah. very uncommon. So when my mother was here on her first visit, she, this blew her mind. She was constantly going, well, what about that house? Does only one family live there? I'm like, no, look, there's two doors yeah. and four mailboxes and no, probably, yeah. probably four but people. But though. I mean, like if you can get one of those, true, but yeah. still there's not as many of them. There are very few. But I, I think it is, my my guess is it's related to the housing precarity. Mm. If you if you need roommates or you need your kids to be able to move in yeah. or anything like that, or you need to Airbnb to afford your mortgage, then you the more sleeping bedrooms, yeah. the better. It's so hot to me. Yeah. <laughs> I've been buying, like we're like we're like not buying a place that doesn't have two bathrooms, and then we were like, okay, maybe. We could just buy a place and then build one. Build one. And yeah. it's like, but why do we want to do that? You know, it's just so annoying. But Actually, my real estate, finding apartments and then buying houses has all been related to bathroom upgrades. Like the first one, we had a toilet that I had to sit sideways, side saddle to fit on it because the <laughs> sink was so close and I have long oh legs. My God. And after that, I was like, never again. And then the next place had a sit, sit possible toilet, yeah. but the tub was under a slanted roof. So you had to sit in it. And then I was like, okay, from now on, tub has to be stayed. <laughs> and the next place, the tub, you could sit in it, but it was a 150 centimeter, oh, wow. a normal size is 170. Yeah. So now it's like, okay, never a smaller bathroom. And now my goal and the, the design is to have a 190 uh, which is the extra extra large because okay. I'm 188. Yeah, okay. And they only sell it here at Tenki. <laughs> and but to have it not a tub shower, like you yeah, have the like tub separate, in one place. Yeah. Shower is over here with a in the floor yeah. drain and yeah. no. Yeah, our current place is like that. We have a yeah, but somebody was fiberglass, which is really annoying. But we have That's a separate like tub. That's me. like all tile, <laughs> no fiberglass. <laughs> in the future. But, all right, so you change your name to mm -hmm. Saithor. And were you, did you feel like you had to, or is that just a personal choice that you made? Um, I definitely didn't feel any pressure, but I did think that, or I do know that there is prejudice against mm, foreigners. Okay. I know that some people have had difficulty when sending resumes mm. that don't have Icelandic names on them, that magically get answered when they change their John to Jón on the paper mm. just to send it. But I, it was much more, I felt like, okay, you have... You, you did not feel comfortable where you were born. You sought out a new place to live. Yeah. And now this is where you're not only chosen to live, but you genuinely enjoy it mm -hmm. and like living here. And it has a different naming convention, language, all of that. So I really wanted to change my name to reflect like yeah. I started over and, you know, this is, this is now. I want to be Icelandic as yeah. opposed to... An American living here for a right. while, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Do you feel Icelandic? Or do you identify as that? I I speak about myself as an Icelander. Okay. And I and I don't feel any kind of imposter syndrome. Okay. But I wouldn't say that I feel Icelandic because I feel the Icelandic experience is still very ignorant towards ideas like class struggle mm. or racism or xenophobia or like things that 
in the US are definitely not being worked on, but the understanding of the concepts is there. If you go and seek it out, you can find out about intersectionality and yeah. feminism and, and, and prejudice and all of that. And here it feels very rudimentary. Like yeah. you can talk about these ideas and people go, there's no racism in Iceland. And I'm like, the what now? You guys didn't take Jewish refugees in World War II. You specifically tried to get America not to station any but white troops at Keplavik. Mm. I don't want to hear this. Don't want to hear this. Yeah. And it's funny how Iceland, because I had a conversation actually with this um, professor. He's a director of anthropology at the University of Iceland. What's his name? His name is Gisli Paulsen. Okay, so that's wrote... not the one I'm thinking of. But okay. there's a guy there who do, who talked about the Jewish refugees and the, mm, okay. the, the soldiers. And he's kind of the holder of the proof oh. that you can't run with that narrative because it's not true. Yeah, what is his yeah. name? I want to say it's something sounding like wood. wood okay. some, it's, it doesn't, it's not an Icelandic name. Okay. If you remember, let me yeah. know. I would love to talk to him. Um, but in this conversation, we did talk about race. And it's mainly because it started out talking about Hans Jonathan, the mm, first yeah. black uh, citizen of Iceland. And he wrote a book about yeah. it. And so we kind of go... Hans did or the professor? The professor, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hans doesn't have any written accounts that okay. people can find. But what was fascinating is that back then in the 1800s, when he came from Denmark, originally like born in St. Croix, uh, enslaved and ran away, essentially, there he was accepted in the East Fjords as like, you're a person just like us. Yeah, yeah. you look a little bit different. You know, and actually they didn't call him a black man, they called him a blue man. Which yeah. was even but that's, like, I mean, isn't that because the concept of whiteness yes. was yeah. invented exactly. in North America. So it has now come yeah. here. So I always think is, when I talk about this, often the pushback is, you are trying to talk about America or you're you're describing how America treats race. Mm. That's not how we're doing it. I'm mm. like... Yeah. I mean, in Europe too. And, and Denmark, yeah, same thing, yeah. There was this concept that created of race and, you know, obviously... Uh, oppression that was used in order to make money. I mean, again, it goes back to this greed, capitalist um, ideals. But it's just so funny to me that he came here and he didn't have the prejudice problem, but his some of his um, children, his descendants, did have issues later mm, on, especially as like we got closer to you know Modern the ideals kind of yeah. coming in and people yeah. traveling more, and then all of a sudden yeah. it's like people were hiding their ancestry that part of it, wow. just so that they wouldn't, they would keep their files, yeah. you know, but they yeah. just wouldn't talk about it because they were afraid that they weren't, be, we wouldn't be considered Aryan enough. And yeah. like their, their eyes were dark, their hair was uh, dark. Yeah. So this made yeah. them look not, you know, as and perfect as Icelandic. heard the Icelandic saying there's something Spanish about? Yes. Oh my God. So I, in, in this other um, <laughs> podcast episode I did about beer and yeah. like, yeah, it came about with this whole like, you know, only, uh, Spanish wine being imported and yeah it's just terrible 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 I mean if you want to explain it you can but it's <laughs> like in I that just, episode we talk about that a little bit it's it feels like if if there is a nation that has a unique problem with something that is also experienced where you are yeah it's a really good idea to look at how the people who are trying to address it are talking about it, if there are lessons to be learned. Mm -hmm. So I don't think Iceland is as racist or no. prejudiced as the United States. No. But I think it is heading in that direction, mm -hmm. and the sources are the same place, and the way to address and ameliorate them are very similar. Mm -hmm. And we could benefit from hearing how race and patriarchy and homophobia and Islamophobia and all, you know, 
war, violence, mm -hmm. housing security. Like, I mean, these have gotten to, to really to problematic, deep issues yeah. in the U.S. And, and at one point, they were much less like mm -hmm. they are here. Yeah. And there were attempts to, to head it off at the pass, and some people tried, and they weren't yeah. listened to. And they were saying the same things that the people who are not being listened to yeah. now in Iceland are saying. So this this is a per for me it's a perfect roadmap because I see the capital class here in Iceland following the exact same script as the capital mm. class in the U.S. and and if anything I think Icelanders should welcome Americans who have an understanding about these issues to learn from them yeah. because we do that if you know when a company wants to start up and do tourism or hoteling or in some For other specialty, industry yeah. they're fine with bringing in consultants and be like hey how do we do this how do we do that and then right. oh thanks for the info yeah like just because this is something a little bit more uncomfortable yeah. and also if you don't believe you have a problem Wow. Yeah, that's, that's another true. thing. You have to believe yeah, that there's something wrong true. with what you're doing, and yeah. I think I know there's a decent amount of ignorance around race and whatever, especially because in the culture there's these jokes that are really crude, yeah. right? And so people don't think of it because they're like, no, I don't mean any harm by it, but it's yeah. like, but this is really hurtful to somebody. They understood what you were saying, right? Yeah. And so yeah. there can be this navigation of like, maybe you just need to chill out. You know, I think it's changing though, because you have a lot of more um, younger parts of the generation that are just like, I don't, that's not okay. You know yeah, what I mean? Like there's, yeah. there's a shift that's happening, but you still, yeah. like you mentioned, a lot of people in power are yeah. much older and they're writing laws and they're like making these decisions that are affecting people's we, lives. Like I think probably the best example I have is there is a person, she runs a, it's called the Icelandic Weather Report. Yes, Altis, Alta, yeah. Alta, 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 yeah. Yeah. And she was talking about when Katrin's government was formed, mm. how Katrin is only the second female yeah. prime minister and how noteworthy that was. And then she runs down the list of the others. And I said, well, also, mm. let's not forget that Gudmundur Gummi, yeah. he's the first openly gay parliamentarian. Mm. And she was like, why is that important? And I was like, what? Wait, wait. Oh. We're literally talking about the issue of representation, and you get it around women. I'm telling you that in Icelandic culture and everywhere else on earth, right. we gay men have had our sexuality excised from yeah. our record. There is a famous Icelandic poet who, in his writings, outs himself as homosexual, okay. and in his biography and all the ways that he's talking about in school, it's hidden away in the same way that a lot of, you know, uh, Turing and just all, all the gay Americans who have, uh, in history, who have had to either hide in the closet right. or when they've become famous, like Freddie Mercury right, or yeah. whoever, they're like, oh, you know, their sexuality is hidden. I'm like, this, in the same way that not having female prime ministers right. tells little girls the heights of where they can go right. in society, not having visibly homosexual men as parents, as teachers, as parliamentarians, limits the imagination of wow. gay men. And I really don't know how to That's pretty connect these things. Actually, she was yeah. mad that I was not just taking her going, I don't see it's important and fading back away. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. I, you know, this, yeah. I can't because you're not getting it. And right. Yes, and it's I'm also getting... an identity that, like, obviously, if you don't try to extend yourself to, right? Because mm. I'll never understand what it is to be you and you'll never understand to be me. Yeah. And that's fine. Yeah. But acknowledging that take, you... Yeah, because that's the closest you can get is right. listen to someone else's account. Right. And try and imagine what it might be like or, or if they tell you the ways that they would most like 
for yeah. it to be worked on exactly. from your position to then think if you can. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, I've had to make choices in my career of when I want to out myself and when I want mm. to be a public gay man. And it often involved some level of risk, mm-hmm. not so much now, but even in the past it has. Yeah. And I feel like if I can do it, I want to because there are other people who don't feel like they can yet. Right. And this yeah. will give more strength, like, look, here's someone else who's not being ashamed or yeah. shy of it or uh, shying away from it. Yeah. I mean, I was pretty surprised, even though I'm not a supporter of Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> I know you're, <laughs> I checked on your Facebook and I was like, all right, I know who you're for, <laughs> which is totally fine. Um, but it was just one of those, I was surprised that he got as far as he did, to be honest. Yeah. Like, I was like, okay, wow. Like, and, and granted, there, I think there might have been some sanitizing of the image or whatever else, but still at the same time, the fact that he was getting as far as he did, I was like, yeah. okay, wow. There's so. two things I'll say about that. One is that I think this idea of what people will accept is also part of this propaganda. So, for example, while I acknowledge and see how important it was for Barack Obama to be the first African-American president, Mm -hmm. at the same time, I think this idea that so many people didn't want to vote for him purely because he was black was overblown. Like, it was much more about the issues and the policies and the way that the news was being talked about. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it was also like that for Pete. It wasn't that there were so many people going, I'm never going to vote for a gay man. It was, there was much less of that mm-hmm. than was being spoken about as if that were the hurdle. Mm-hmm. And then I also think it's interesting that every time we have a minority finally get some amount of notoriety, they always have to be asexual. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the mammies from the old silent films, mm-hmm. the Will and Grace... You've got, you know, it's like there's this pressure that you cannot talk about your minority status. You certainly can't be obnoxious and in your face yeah, about it. Intimate, or, basically. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, this is, and, and there were a lot of discussions between gay people on Twitter about mm. the asexual nature of, they're like, are you saying he's not gay? And I'm like, I know that he's gay. I'm saying that through his career, he is, in my opinion, very obviously manufactured this yeah. persona to be as unoffensive as possible. Yes. Clearly, there are some people who aren't so sexual, but I don't think it's a coincidence right. with his political aspirations that he gives these PG-13 kisses without holding hands, yep. and he did a GQ shoot, shirt, uh, shoot where he didn't even unbutton his dress shirt, and he doesn't have to be laying out naked, yeah. but like... I, you know, it's, I find it weird and I, cause I don't want to have to do that. Yeah. I don't want to have to present this completely desexualized cause that's one, not correct right. portrayal of myself. Yeah. And two, like uh, the people who I need to artificially change my presentation, we're never going to, ex- there's, there's no hoop I can mm-hmm. jump through. Will there be, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, you're, you know, you're yeah. one of the good ones. And even if I could, I don't want to be one right, of the good exactly. ones. Right, you know? exactly. And I think in, that was the, even the thing with like Michelle Obama. I was reading her book, Becoming. And in there, I mean, she talks about how they didn't have the chance to just mess up. Right. right? Because they're under the microscope all the time. So mm-hmm. just their children had to be perfect, even though they were finding things, you know, about like smoking weed or whatever. Mm-hmm. <gasps> right. Exactly. It's like the one thing <laughs> they could possibly find in this family. And that's like, it's so Meanwhile, sad. Meanwhile, Chelsea Clinton's grifting $9 million a year <laughs> from a board seat she's not qualified for. But uh, that's fine. Ivanka Trump. I mean, yeah, come on. Ivanka we Trump, we yeah. just like, we can, the line is yes. long. Yes. I just think it's fascinating, you know, this kind of whole rhetoric around 
politics and in Iceland obviously it's not that it's perfect at all yeah. whatsoever in the system here but I'm wondering about your feelings between this are you coming from a place where you know there's a lot of corruption you know that the classism and the gap in, in, in wage and everything is like it's huge it's a huge disparity in the US so you're coming to Iceland or have come to Iceland and things have been evolving sometimes not in a positive way I'm just wondering how you're feeling about being a person from the U.S., living here now, and kind of seeing what's going on there, and then also very aware of what ha is happening in the country here. Um, if I had to sum it up, I would say I'm frustrated. Okay. Because I described it to a, a Norwegian friend who was asking me same question. I said, it feels like in the U.S., the society is shit, mm -hmm. but there's a movement that's aware mm -hmm. and is trying to fix it. Okay. And here in Iceland, the society is as utopic really as any country has created mm -hmm. for at least for me to embody uh, or to live in but there's no movement there's no everyone's asleep no one I mean other than the conservative sociopaths who are never asleep they're always <laughs> accomplishing their goals because they have staff that they can pay to do it for them right, yeah. but you know this this understanding that this healthcare system can be dissolved away like the NHS is being done right now and I told I had couch surfers I used to do couch surfing a lot, mm -hmm. and we had two coming from the UK, and I told them, I'm like, the conservatives in the UK are trying to gut the NHS, and they're like, oh, never going to happen, everyone loves it, and I'm like, my sweet summer children, <laughs> just you wait, and you know, I wish I could, I don't, I can't remember which ones they are now, but I want to write, I wish I could write them and be like, so remember that conversation, what do you think now? Um, because, and I think that path is what the wealthy of Iceland would like to happen because mm -hmm. this is an egg with a lot of money inside. Right. And if you can crack it open and get at the gooey bits inside, that's more money that you and your failed children can slurp up. Yeah. And so this is, and the, the inoculation is for people to be aware that you can't just abandon participating. You have to keep up with what is happening. Is there more context that needs to be aware of? Like, for example, when I learned the history of uh, the conservative parties, I mean, they kept lists of the leftists in order to essentially keep them from the reins of power. And the largest protest in Icelandic history was the joining of NATO. Yeah. And there were volunteers for the conservative parties that went out and were beating the protesters Whoa. with wooden sticks to get their way out to basically shut down the, the push against joining NATO because no one wanted it other than the wealthy Icelanders who wanted a seat at the NATO grown-up table, you know, and even still it's not popular. People don't want to be in NATO. It's like, what are we going to do? We don't have a military. How are we going to yeah. assist? And, Housing other militaries, yeah, right? Yeah. Well, that's going to be... Um, and, uh, allowing so, the U.S. to put up yeah, another and, base. And they're already coming back. I yeah. mean, it was shot into... Or mm -hmm. The last soldiers left in 2006, and now they've got, you know, yep. hunter, uh, submarine hunting um, uh, planes and, and yeah. people here. And, like, this, this needs to be understood when something like this happens. The Icelandic society needs to take seriously, what does this mean? Yeah. Why is it being done? And should we let it happen? Right. And same thing with the strikes now. Like, this is not just about the payment of these individual workers. It is, are we going to be okay with letting these jobs go down and down and down and down and down? Mm -hmm. And all the other ones that might not be on strike right now. But this is a pattern. The, mm -hmm. the, the, because if our salary goes up, 
that money has to come from somewhere. It will come from a progressive taxation system right. coming out of the bank accounts of the ultra wealthy. Yeah. And they don't want that. And they know that's how yeah. it works. So they're making sure to fund. Even when it doesn't really affect them. That's politicians. Yeah. It's because yeah. it's, cl it's class solidarity right. and the wealthy always have class solidarity. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, the middle and lower class aren't even aware that there is a, right. a class battle, a cl class warfare. Right. Um, and you tell them like, <laughs> They're not being, there's no sociopaths here. They're everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be for real. Yeah. I mean, you know, and some, some people go the route of what we currently consider illegal and, mm -hmm. and become gangsters or dealers yeah. or human traffickers. And that has happened in Iceland. Mm -hmm. And others have access to doing it a legal way that's still very immoral. And if you could sit down most Icelanders and explain how you know, slurping up all of the real estate is mm. impoverishing the new generations. The majority of them, if you gave them an accurate education, will go, oh, well, I don't want that. Yeah. And it's like, well, if you don't want it, that's going to one, require a change of voting mm -hmm. and two, probably some hard work, like actually protesting, actually being willing to stay home from work or a general strike or something like that. Because if they're willing to do sociopathic things, they're willing to do sociopathic things. Yeah, you know, exactly. And the level of resistance has to rise to the mark where it will stop it. And we have failed examples yeah. in the past, in the US, in here, where people have been upset and it just hasn't risen to a level to actually you know, push it back down. Perfect example being the Affordable Care Act in the yeah. US. You know, it, it could have and should have been pushed to the level of universal health care. Yes. And it did not because the, the pressure did not materialize. Right. And now we have a harder time materializing the pressure to get Bernie Sanders in. Yeah. And then and he's considered it's only radical, starting. right? Yeah. Which is amazing to me. I'm having a conversation with someone about this, actually, my, my son, tutor. And he was like, oh, yeah, he's considered a radical. I was like, he's not a radical. Please yeah. stop saying that. Like, Center just, left. <laughs> like, this is by so, a little bit. Yeah. It's, just, it's really amazing to me what people consider to be um, a lot to ask. Yeah. Basic human rights, it's like, that's too much, right? Let's, then, not, let's not do that. I heard a great <laughs> saying that I always I think about a lot now, and it's where any a, 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 a system, for a system to endure, it has to have self-propagating elements to mm. it. And so the, the, the wealthiest Icelanders, the wealthiest Americans, they understand that this situation is undemocratic. Mm. The majority of people would not be like, yes, you can have a boat with a smaller boat inside of it. <laughs> And we'll all just live bumped up and work all day long. Right. This sounds fine. You know, mm -hmm. the majority of people would go, well, I think we can equalize that a little bit. Right. And to get away with it, they have to cover their tracks. Right. There's lots of ways. You do some some philanthropy, PR, like Bill Gates and uh, Bezos. They always end up richer year after year. So it doesn't seem like they're actually giving away money. <laughs> um, you, you know, you need to have control of the newspapers. Mm -hmm. You had here when... Um, uh, I don't know if you know about this. So there was a Nigerian asylum seeker who was getting a lot of positive public support. Like this mm. person should be able to stay. Yeah. And then there came in all the news, right as the public pressure was getting to the level where it probably would have resolved something, that that he was suspected of being involved with human trafficking. What? And all of a sudden the public sentiment deflated. And um, Is this just a made-up story or something? Like what? So... The only newspaper that did any kind of journalism was Divaf, yeah. which is tabloid. What? <laughs> they, I'm serious. You know, this gets better. It gets better. So Divaf 
wrote to the police department and called them and they're like, um, we just want to get our facts straight. Yeah. Like, when did this like first the start? Or whatever? Yeah. The, <laughs> and like... the, the police were like, the who now? Wow. For what? We, no, we don't have any record of this. Where, what are you? What? Wow. No, we know where he lives and we know he's an asylum seeker, but there's, we don't have any That's criminal disgusting. record. And so they did. They went and found out, and this was Hanna Bitna, who her office, and, I, and I, no one will ever convince me that this didn't come from her own brain, yeah. because no secretary would do this, yeah. made up a false claim that oh this guy was a criminal and sent it to all the newspapers who just ran it un, unexamined, uninvestigated. And what ended up happening, the fallout was, eventually she fired one of her secretaries and, as a scapegoat. She had to bow out of politics for a while, but I think she's already back course, or, yeah. you know, in one of the parties, you yeah. know, ret- retconning her, her uh, rehabbing her reputation. But Divoff was booked by a businessman who donates and is involved in the conservative no. parties. The editor was gotten rid of. And the editorial policy is now such that don't look into politicians. You're just tabloids. You don't air the dirty laundry of my friends because I'm your owner. And the same thing. You can watch the Washington Post have 16 anti-Bernie Sanders articles in one day. And you're like, wait a second. Is the person who owns you worried about their tax bill going Mm -hmm. up? And this is why these journalistic articles are coming out? Or do you really think that way? Hmm, hmm, hmm. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, you know, when you have Donahue and Melissa Harris Perry, Mm -hmm. who had tons of viewers, but they talked about the wrong things, off they go. It's like, there you go. And it's like, and, and you would think that network would have been... Oh, I wouldn't. You know, I think they're as bad as Fox. But I'm just saying, yeah, I, I, yeah. I'm meaning from the outside, right? Yeah. Because they have these people on the yeah. show. And now it's like, whitewashed. But even on the <laughs> so. other side, like Tommy Loren. Yeah. She was oh she was Fox's little darling. And then and she was too. like, I think there are some cases mm-hmm. where abortion should be okay. Yep. Out she goes. Yeah. Gone. She's gone. Just that easy. Because it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter. These are shopped for spokespeople, the sycophants of capital. And the moment yeah. they don't go along with the aristocracy... Yeah. Out they go, and this yeah. is the, this is why you shouldn't give individuals make or break power yeah. that wealth accumulation gives, because then they can uh, implement their pathology broader than themselves. Yeah. You know, they can they have the money to put their fingers into all of the pies. You know, buy newspapers, mm-hmm. tell them how to report. You know. David Otson is the editor of Yeah, Morgan Blavith. Yeah, I know. No journalistic background from what I understand. A 3.2 million kroner a month salary. Yep. It's like, I wonder if his job is to make sure that the newspaper only tells the old people who read it the things that are, con- yeah, that are convenient for the independent party. Right, yeah. Hmm, <laughs> confusing. So I, the, it, the frustration is that it feels like, because it is on such a smaller scale, that if you even just have a slightly accurate lens to look at things that everything becomes very very clear mm-hmm. and so it becomes very frustrating when you try and communicate that to an in-law or a relative mm-hmm. or someone and they're like i think you might be going a little bit too yeah extreme it's like you're a conspiracy theorist yeah conspiracy theorist i'm like okay well see how that works out for you call me back in 10 years yeah. let's see <laughs> it is hard though because then it also it's the fabric of your society that you're getting to right mm-hmm. and once you're focusing on that it's make it would it's very uncomfortable to admit that yeah. it could be like that. And in the U.S., it's like it's happening all the time where it's very yeah. uncomfortable. And granted, it's 
people were trying to smash it a lot. Yeah. But at the same time, the conversation is happening, right? People were still popping up and saying, I don't care if you beat me. I don't care if you, you know, arrest me. I'm still going to say something. Whereas yeah. like here, it's like people are deathly afraid of, of that yeah. because yeah. you're so used to like, this community is so small. Where else do you go? Who else do you identify with? Connect. I had someone, a, a, a gay couple, friends of mine, that I invited to come over to dinner. And he goes, I can't because my partner is Hannah Bittman's cousin. And he saw how you wrote about her. No. I'm like, then he has to know these things are true. He wow. just doesn't like me talking shit about her. So, Okay. Fine. If we're if, if I'm canceled if over that, fine. I'm not going to take it back. <laughs> you can't have an opinion. Yeah. But also, the, I'm sure there's an element of how dare you? Yeah. You're not an Icelander. Right. How dare you criticize? Look at the mess you came from. And I'm like, that's what I'm trying to help yeah. you avoid. Like, that's the point. <laughs> I mean, it's like the messenger from the future, right? Yeah. It's just like yeah. exactly. Nobody wants to look exactly. Like. I mean, but I get it that it probably would be obnoxious to hear yeah. someone who who came here i mean now it's been 13 years but still <laughs> like you know not that long ago yeah. and it's like you you got a lot to fix and yeah. they're like who are you like i'm wondering about one thing in iceland now i mean when I, there's andre snide who wrote a recent book mm-hmm. and he's quite you know involved in the climate crisis and kind of bringing that about and in iceland he's made it a point so i wonder if you know someone's willing to take that torch because he had, I mean, when I talked to him, he had a point in his life where he was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. You know, because it's very exhausting yes. to be that person yeah. who everyone's going to, who people are threatening, who people are whatever, trying to... I can only imagine. Life. Yeah. Yeah. And he's and he's very fortunate that he's an independent person, right? Yeah. He's not, you know, de- um, dependent on a regular job or whatever else. So he has yeah. a, a very unique position. And so it would be like a person like that who would be willing to... Mm have some, like, not connection yeah. in that way, not dependent on, like, everybody I've else. Been, I've been thinking about this concept a lot, and my my theory so far is I feel like if all it took is a, is a charismatic, clever voice in the wilderness, mm-hmm. then Martin Luther King and Malcolm X would have fixed racism in the U.S. Mm. Noam Chomsky would have fixed mm. imperialism in the U.S. Yeah. You know, we would have universal health care from Bernie Sanders in 2016 being president. Mm. Um, and and it seems like the reliance on, sorry, on, <laughs> on a singular or, or, you know, one per million super clever voices, it doesn't work because you can both ignore them especially if they're not from your circle, mm-hmm. but also then any personal failings mm-hmm. of that individual can be used as reasons you don't yeah. need to listen. Oh, he was a womanizer, or yeah. oh, he was, you know, liked guns, or something like that. You know, Noam Chomsky, liter- liberal elite tower, whatever. <laughs> and I, my, my genuine belief is that in the same way that I don't believe in the idea of the... Um, the lone genius, you know, the Elon Musk, Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, they're deserving of their wealth because they're just so brilliant. Mm-hmm. I think that's bullshit. I also think the equivalent in information distribution mm-hmm. is also bullshit. Like, yeah. Rather than having 10 super geniuses put, putting around the ideas that we need to work on and everyone going, oh, thank you for the knowledge. 
There should be a million, you know, slightly clever people all trying to make more noise. And then all the people who aren't going to be in that role also need to be more ready to grow and listen. Because there is a lot of times where you can give someone Martin Luther King's message exactly and make them sit and read Mm -hmm. it. And they're still going to go, you know, not inculcate it. Mm -hmm. And so that's another missing ingredient is more people need to go, oh... You know, like my, mm. my father and my uncle are extremely conservative, mm. Trump voting, mm. religious white men in mm. America. Yeah. And, you know, they they don't even want to hear it from me. And I'm their relative because yeah. I'm just too, I'm this gay guy who moved to another country who doesn't love America all day long, sleeping on an American flag pillow, <laughs> um, you know, with eagle tears in my eagle vodka. And, uh, you know, but even them, they can kind of see, like, I can see that they're they're reaching older age. They can look around and see that the American society is, is not working. Mm-hmm. And they probably have a different idea as to why not. Right. But it would have been much harder to reach them maybe in the 50s, right. you yeah. know, from that demographic. With the good old days. Like yeah, for them. Like to say. Them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, but I just meant more about, like, because Andres Knight in his, um, this one manifesto that he wrote it just woke people up to the fact that the information the disinformation was going to ruin the natural resources of iceland right like the way it was being talked about in the media it was like oh this little bit here from this waterfall over there you know what i mean but not to insult him yeah hasn't made a difference in terms of there's more people who who back what he's saying i'm not saying that he is like i'm okay i'm not even trying to get to that point but this is more about you'd mentioned before breaking down information in a way that people understand it. That's true. And I think that is like, it's kind of missing sometimes that someone doesn't keep hammering in the idea that like, no, that means this specifically, and this is how it's going to change our lives, and this is what it means for our future. And I definitely believe in these voices because all of my heroes are these people, you know? Uh, Like Harvey Milk is is one of my personal heroes, and he got shot in the face. Yeah. Uh, sacrifices but, yeah. i guess you make but, um, you know and that's also i've tried to strive for a level of financial independence as well yeah. so that because i see the times when i've tried to not tried but the times when i have moved or interacted with the upper class of iceland it's all it's a similar dynamic to moving up the social ladder in the u.s where mm. there is a pressure to be a very pleasant person that never talks about difficulties never talks about people outside of that economic class mm. and watching like you know for example now the the queer five the queer eye, the, the fab five yeah from the new queer eye yeah. all going on and trying to like lecture people that they just need to bl- vote blue no matter who and all this i'm like you guys are wealthy yeah. you would never go back to not having health care and all this like you know you have you have sold out to keep your career and i get the difficulty i know that it is there but if everyone keeps making this choice, it's yes. going to keep going I agree. on. This is a repeat of 2016, and it's very hurtful. That's why like, someone asked me how I felt about what's going on now, and I was like, I don't even want to talk about it. I just feel like I'm in this deja vu moment. Different looking people, well, not that's not true, except for uh, Bernie Sanders, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. He's but still just, there. Yeah, he's still there. <laughs> but still, it was just like just this older. idea that it's like, but who do you think is actually going to win? It's like, but what do you believe in? Yeah, yeah. Right? Can we the stop The whole doing electability, this? I'm like... You've got to, for me, I try and envision Mm -hmm. the future that I want because, for example, like this house project, it's a five-year project. I'm only not even a year and a half into it. Mm -hmm. So I'm, you know, not even halfway. And, you know, to have the, the energy to get 
to being done, you have to first believe that it's possible. Yeah. And there's plenty of people like when I said I wanted to leave the U.S. Mm-hmm. who were naysayers, when I wanted to launch a business or just there's there's so, always excuses why not to strive towards it. But like, yeah, you got to have the conviction that yeah. it's right. Like when it's some blinders on. <laughs> I remember in 2016 when it came down to Johnson, Trump, Clinton, and Stein. Yeah. It was like, you know, there's the concept of electability. And then there's also my firm belief that I don't want to enable warmongers. Yeah. Even if it's maybe in some arguments slightly less bad than someone else who's horrible in different ways. And, you know, it's like, but I, you know, I, I'm actually quite glad and I feel I've gotten a lot of um, leeway. Like, I have relatives who did vote for Trump who now have voted for Bernie Sanders this time. Wow. And I feel like not ever having tried to defend Hillary Clinton Mm -hmm. because I I just don't like the choices that she's made in her life Mm -hmm. helped to do that because I never tried to make excuses for someone that didn't really need to have excuses made for them. I was always saying... The, the same message of we need to move away from war. Right. We need to think about our fellow citizens and how we can have a safety net that catches people when they have a temporary miss yeah. so that we can... Which everyone does. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not possible to, yeah. um, you know, never never get sick, right. never lose a job, you right. know, all of that. And, um, yeah. yeah, but building that... and I And then I have to remember that not everyone gets to have that experience. Not everyone can just say, you know, middle finger to the boss because he's being unfair or, you know, because the unfair bosses are always meant. Not always, not always, but, um, and uh, you, you know, so to have the, I feel like I'm being irresponsible with the privilege I've been given if I don't Mm. be as vocal as I can and go like, oh no, I'm going to be, I'm going to prioritize. Right. Me just gotta focus on me, me and, me. Mine. Me and yeah, yeah, exactly. Me and mine. I'm like, we need less of that. Right. Yeah. Less of the me and mine, Good and more you. of the like, yeah. is it possible to bring someone else up, and not just because then I would like for myself to be brought up if I'm ever in that same position, but even if that's never a self-preserving argument, I think that the whole society we live in is better for it because yeah. there are some people who might be having a hard time right now, but then six years from now they come out with a cricket meat replacement or you know like a, a yeah. way to keep the hurricanes away or who knows you know <laughs> who, who knows like uh, yeah i just think that's um because i've watched the people who were exactly like me who were born 50 years ago had a totally different life experience mm-hmm. and the only reason that i get to have a better one is all the people who risked and were willing to take the negative consequences yeah. so i have to be uh, ready to do it myself to honor the sacrifice they made, yeah. but also so that the kids, the gay boys, fifty years from now have none of it. They right. can just be themselves. Exactly, it's not yeah. like an, an anomaly or unusual. It's just your person. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Yeah, yeah, great. We could talk about this all day. Yes, sure. I easily. Can. <laughs> but I'm gonna move on to the last question yep. of the episode, and that is, what is your favorite Icelandic word or phrase? Let's see. Oh yeah, okay. So Velkomen auf Feitisch. Velkomen auf Feitisch. Yeah, welcome okay. on your feet. Yeah, okay. And it's like instead of saying, uh, oh somebody has bed head, you say Velkomen auf Feitisch. Like if someone has just woken up and they're disheveled or they don't look like they've put themselves together yet, or they're just walking for the coffee pot, <laughs> welcome on your feet. Okay. And I like this 
Because it's very literal. Like, you were previously reclined. Yeah. And you've just now gotten on your feet. Welcome! We've been here for a while! Join us! I'm going to use that with my husband because he's one of those people who, like, he gets up and he looks nuts. But he just, like, puts on his clothes. He's like, I'm ready. I'm like, but yeah. you you look like you just woke up. He's like, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm like, Best part about being a man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm ready. Yeah. And you just woke up. I know. Exactly. And I'm just like, can we have a few minutes? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I like that yeah. a lot. Welcome to Fighters. And uh, if there's any others, let's see. I do like the word hinsayin, like Hinsayin, queer. Yeah. Or or because you it's it is used at times not related to sexuality. Okay. You know, if you if you want to just say it's kind of like odd or, or one out of the ordinary. Okay. Like skrita a little bit. Yeah, right? but more kind of like um, not typical or not average. Okay. Yeah, and so it's it's I think it's a really and it. From my understanding, it doesn't have the baggage that queer has. So I use queer in English, and okay. I like how it means, but I understand that it was used as an insult right. in the past. And there is a generational divide where there are some gay people who are like, yeah. you can't say that. I'm like, actually, I can. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Hinsein, like you have Hinsein Dagar, the, mm, yep. the gay pride. Mm-hmm. And um, I just think it's, it's great because there are so many people who are not straight, and I don't want to define us by what we're right. not. And I've heard lots of people say that, like uh, every once in a while I, I used to say like for people who are not white, I'm like, mm, let's, yeah, that's kind let's, of... <laughs> let's flip it around reverse. I see where you're coming from, but let's, that's not, we don't want to define us by what we're not. We yeah. want to, you know, what we are. So to have like hinsaying for everyone, lesbian, trans, yeah. gay, bi, all of that, it's nice to not have to give 30 letters, right. you know, I'm like, oh, that's all of them. We just have to put them in the right order. Um, yeah. So I like hinsaying a lot. Great. Well, thank you so much, Saito. It's mm-hmm. been a pleasure. I've learned yep, a too. lot of really fascinating things. And also, thank it's you. been a great exchange, kind of hearing what it's like having lived here mm. for you know so long. And also, like, how you have adapted, which seems to be quite well. So, <laughs> I think you. Once, once you feel comfortable, like, digging in and, and criticizing a society, in my opinion, yeah. that's a, a big part of, like, becoming a part of a society. Yeah, exactly. Because it, it really is, to have to, to vote in two nations mm-hmm. and a state is very, like... It, it, sometimes it feels powerful. I'm like, <laughs> you'll have this and you'll have that. And I actually think it's funny when I've talked in the past about uh, politics, oftentimes I'll be accused of misogyny. Mm. And I'm like, I've actually only voted for president twice. Mm-hmm. And both times I voted for a woman. So okay. I kind of think it's a little bit, I mean, obviously that doesn't mean I can't be a misogynist. But <laughs> it's interesting that that's the accusation of why I wouldn't want to vote for a woman for president yeah. when I've only ever voted for female presidential candidates uh, in Iceland and in the U.S. Yeah. But, um, okay. Well, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe we'll, we'll uh, possibly have another time we chat about something else because yeah. there's so many different topics, fascinating yeah. topics. But yeah. I, I appreciate you kind of giving your insight on different areas. <laughs>